The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. In 1990, then-media mogul Kerry Packer suffered a major heart attack. An ambulance was called, and as luck would have it, the one he ended up in was one of only two in New South Wales with a defibrillator or an electric heart starter, and paramedics were able to reinstate a pulse. He was saved, and when he was released from hospital, he decided to fund one for every ambulance in New South Wales. It was life-saving health tech. Now, imagine if one day, scientists could come up with something to save someone suffering a stroke. There are 13 million people around the globe suffering a stroke every year. Brain damage, long-term disability, death. And at this point, there's very little available, my understanding and possibly yours too, to aid attending paramedics. So imagine a day when there was a safe early intervention therapeutic that would provide protection to brain cells immediately following a stroke, something that could be part of the emergency response kit of every ambulance just like the defibrillators are now. How many lives could that save? It's an unmet section of medicine, but maybe not for much longer. Today, we're diving into protecting our brains, talking strokes, brain health, and the potential of neuroprotective drug, a neuroprotective drug in particular developed in Perth, Western Australia, that's just completed phase one clinical trials, ARG007. I'm Christina Morrissey. Welcome to Stock Insiders. And our guest today, CEO and MD of Argenica Therapeutics, Liz Dallimore. Liz, hello and welcome. Hi, Christina. How are you? Thanks for having me. No, but I did say Dr. Liz Dallimore, didn't I? You did. Good. Yes, Excellent. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Years of university, and I need to. I need to have. <laughs> hey, let's, let's let's take a, a closer look at the brain. Mine seems to be slightly failing at the moment. Isn't it notoriously tricky um, to 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 work with the brain? Look, it is uh, quite difficult. I, I do remember one of my neuroscience lecturers um, telling me that the the brain is the hardest hardest organ because the actual structure of it doesn't really tell you anything about the function. So, in comparison to the heart, where you can see. The different ventricles and really it's acting like a pump to get the, the blood around when you look at the brain under the microscope um, and even you know looking at it just as a whole it's really hard to understand all the complicated functions of the brain and the intricacies of it so uh, yeah quite quite challenging but also hugely fascinating to work with the brain there were those of us listening to you give that answer and say so you immediately said right let's take up the hard one let's go to the brain yes. we'll specialize in that yes yeah absolutely love it love it always like a challenge so we're talking strokes today um can you describe what happens to the brain when someone suffers a stroke yeah sure so there are two main types of stroke so one is a hemorrhagic stroke which is a bleed on the brain and that makes up around 15 percent of all strokes and the main type of stroke is what's known as an ischemic stroke and this is caused by a blood clot in a vessel in the brain or any type of clot in a, in a vessel in the brain so that that clot can arise from anywhere in your body and travel up to the brain or it can um, originate from the brain itself so the brain obviously needs oxygen and it gets that oxygen from blood flow. So when you have a clot in a vessel in the brain, it is going to stop blood flow and it's going to stop oxygen to that part of the brain. But the brain itself, the brain cells in the brain known as neurons, they all talk to each other. So if one 
area of the brain is receiving oxygen, that part of the brain starts, uh, not receiving oxygen, sorry, that part of the brain starts to die. And it causes this cascade of cell death across the brain because each of those neurons are talking to each other. So there is a, a, a term known in a stroke that time is brain because of this cascade of cell death. So getting a patient to hospital as soon as possible to work out how to remove that clot is absolutely imperative because you get these increasing amounts of cell death in the brain the longer you delay that patient getting to hospital. So you've got a clot or you've got a bleed. So your treatment is dependent on defining out which one it is. On what it is. Yeah, exactly. So it's really important that the patient is actually scanned, the brain is scanned to work out what type of stroke that patient has sustained because they present in the same way. So if you've seen those pictures around what someone looks like when they've suffered a stroke, so the sort of droopy side of the face, um, it's, uh, it's, it's the same, right? So a paramedic won't know what type of stroke that patient has had. So they can't actually they can't administer anything that may dissolve the clot. Uh, so, so really important that the patient gets to hospital, they get a brain scan. Um, if, if it's just sort of determined that it is a clot, the aim of the treatment is to remove that clot. So either through administering a drug which dissolves the clot or through uh, a surgical procedure known as a thrombectomy, which actually surgically removes the clot. So the reason that you need to know what type of stroke it is before, say, you administer the clot-dissolving drug is that if you gave that clot-dissolving drug to someone that's had a hemorrhagic stroke or that bleed on the brain, it actually exacerbates that bleeding and can lead to death in those patients. So there's there's absolutely no way a paramedic can um, can give that clot-dissolving drug when someone presents with a stroke. So in the meantime, though, you've got brain cells that are, are keeling over in rapid succession. Yeah, absolutely. So 1.9 million brain cells per minute. Oh, jeez. It is a lot. So the immediate treatment at the moment for stroke is we get placed in the ambulance, made comfortable and taken yep. to hospital. Exactly. And then we That's wait to bad. see what, what sort of stroke and then we treat from there. So how yeah. successful are the treatments at the moment? Um, so it depends. Uh, if you have a clot that's reasonably easy to, uh, to access, then a thrombectomy is your best chance. So actually going in and surgically removing the clot, but not all clots are easy to access. The uh, clot-dissolving drug, it's known as TPA, uh, that has a time window, so it's only effective up to about four, four and a half hours post-stroke onset. So it's um, it's not going to be suitable for everyone. So people have strokes in the middle of the night and um, or it can take a while for a paramedic to come if you have a, obviously you have a stroke in Broome and you need to get down to Perth. So um, so the, it's only around about 9% of, of people that can actually get that, that TPA clot dissolving drug. So we're desperately in need of, of something that can protect these brain cells to get 
to open that treatment window. Now, obviously, I've asked you to join us today for more than your knowledge of the brain and letting us know how what happened to stroke, etc. Um, tell us about ARG007. How was mm-hmm. it discovered? How does it work? So it was discovered at uh, by a scientist by the name of Professor Bruno Maloney at the Perrin Neuroscience Research Institute here in Perth. And uh, Professor Maloney was actually working on another drug, so a drug for another company, trying to get that drug into the brain. And in order to do that, he needed to attach uh, a peptide to that that other drug to allow it to cross the blood-brain barrier. And in doing so in these experiments, he realised that um, it, the, this attachment, this peptide, was actually having this amazing neuroprotective effect that no one had ever discovered before. And so very cleverly he patented that and then he systematically over the the sort of next 10 years went through working out whether this peptide, this neuroprotective drug, uh, would actually have an effect in ischemic stroke. So he went through all the preclinical studies required, so looked at various animal models and saw that uh, indeed it was having a huge amount of ability to reduce that volume of cell death that you see post-stroke. So what it's doing, it's almost shutting down the brain, so hibernating the brain cells for a period of time um, so that they don't die and then quick allows that patient really then in a clinical setting to get to the hospital knowing that, you know, we've, we've given them a drug that can shut down their brain and protect them from that, that increasing cascade of cell death. So the professor's done those that 10 years of, of work. So this is no overnight, uh, no very overnight. No. So he's done 10 years of work. Then, So how do you then get it? Because I know you've just um, finished your phase one clinical trials and we'll talk about the results from that. But how does he get it from that work that he did into the phase one? Into the clinic, yes. So um, it it does require a lot. So taking a drug into human clinical trials, obviously there is a lot of rigour in terms of predominantly the safety of the drug. So we went through a whole uh, barrage of safety um, preclinical studies just to make sure that the drug wasn't having any adverse effects uh, in animal studies, so making sure that it ha- didn't have any adverse effects on the heart, um, on the brain, on the kidneys, you know, the general sort of functioning of, of the body and make sure it, it wasn't toxic uh, to, to any parts of the body to give to give us that confidence and also to, to give the people that are approving uh, actually taking this into a clinical trial that it, you know, the chances of it having any adverse uh, effects in terms of its safety would be uh, minimised as much as possible. Yeah. Now you did, uh, so how long did the trial take and how many people were involved? So the phase one trial, it was in healthy volunteers. So uh, for neurological drugs, we we do phase one trials in healthy subjects. Um, And we had 32 volunteers in that trial. That was done here in Perth at Linear, which is a fantastic globally recognised clinical research organisation. And so we had, uh, we split those 32 into four cohorts because essentially what we wanted to do, we wanted to test four different doses of the drug and see um, if there were any changes in potential adverse events across those four different doses. So 
we started with the lowest dose and we had eight participants in the lowest dose. Uh, it was all blinded, which means uh, we had um, some people receiving a placebo, which was just a saline injection, and some receiving our drug, but we didn't know who was receiving what. Um, and then uh, so we had two, two in each cohort receiving a placebo and then six receiving our drug. So once we had a look at, you know, their, a neurological assessment, we um, made sure their bloods and their urine looked okay, that there wasn't anything um, nasty going on. Then we escalated to the next cohort, which had the next uh, dose, the next sort of step change up of dose. And then same again, so eight participants, two placebo, six receiving our drugs. So went all the way through to the, the fourth dose, which was our highest dose. And interestingly, our highest dose had the least amount of these sort of mild, uh, what's known as mild adverse events. So in any any administration of any anything, you know, whether it's just a saline or, or our actual drug, you'll see things like, you know, an itchy or dermatitis at the site of injection, uh, you might get sort of a, a mild headache. So we, we didn't see any of that in the highest dose. Liz, what I thought was interesting reading through those results was that you had 54.2% uh, of the participants had a mild or moderate um, um, TAE, as you mentioned. That was, But there was more in the placebo group. Human, humans are funny <laughs> creatures. So I think when you come into a clinical trial, and this is why we do placebos, right, you have um, the placebo effect where... You know, linear is, is quite a, a clinical setting. It looks like a hospital. So um, people have adverse kind of reactions just uh, physiologically just to being in that kind of uh, environment. The other thing is, you know, we, we try to remove any pot potential variable that may um, ch change the results. So things like caffeine. So you can't have caffeine and you can't exercise and all those sorts of things also have an impact on the way people feel. Um, I mean, I get a headache if I don't have a coffee by 9 o'clock in the morning, so <laughs> it's sort of understandable. So we get to the end of the trial. Yes. Are you pleased with the results? Absolutely. Like, yes, we are, we are delighted and not only obviously the, um, because we've shown at all doses that the drug is safe, which is a huge milestone for a drug development company, um, but it gives us now that green light to, to move into these, the really exciting next phase of the phase two clinical trials where we're actually putting the drug into stroke patients. So, um, you know, that's what we're here to do. We're here to, to change the lives of these patients that currently have no neuroprotective um, treatments available to them. So how do you go about administering the drug in that situation? Is it due? Yeah, so it's, uh, I mean, there are a lot of stroke trials out there. So the hospitals are reasonably well-versed um, in, in delivering drugs for uh, clinical trials. It's, you know, it's not, I guess it's not easy, um, but it's it has been done many times. So the, what we do is we... For this trial, this is a phase two trial, so really predominantly looking at the safety of our drug again, but in stroke patients, uh, making sure that it's safe. But we also want to have some data that shows it is actually reducing that amount of cell death as well. So uh, good clinical trial design is absolutely critical in drug development and many drugs do fail in the clinic because of bad clinical trial design where it, it wasn't designed in such a way that you were ever going to possibly meet your endpoint and be successful. So 
What we're doing in this trial is we are uh, selecting a subset of stroke patients that are having uh, a blockage in a large vessel in their brain. So quite a significant blockage because we expect to see a greater amount of um, infarct in those patients and therefore the greater ability for our drug to work on those patients. Those patients will also have, if it's in a large vessel, they tend to get thrombectomy, so that mechanical surgical removal of the clot. So we're sort of we're keeping it to that subset of, uh, of people with stroke because they're, they're the largest strokes, um, the worst type of outcomes. And so if we can prove it in that, then we can extrapolate that um, to others. At this point, stage two clinical trial would involve treating patients who have been diagnosed as having the... Large vessel occlusion stroke, yeah. Not, not administering it to people straight after they've had a stroke, so we're waiting for that. So then what happens if, if that's successful? Where do you go to from there? Yeah, so if that's successful, then the plan is to do what's known as a phase three trial. That is a large global trial uh, where ideally we that's when we would be um, administering it in the ambulance. So uh, now, you know, once we show that it's safe to administer to stroke patients and that patients in, who have large vessel occlusions and we are getting that, you know, trend in efficacy, then that gives us the confidence to do that global trial and if we could administer it earlier in paramedics knowing that it's safe. Um, and we also know that it, it can be given to a patient that is having a hemorrhagic stroke because it doesn't work on the vasculature, so it's not exacerbating any bleeding in those patients. So, um, yeah, so that, that would be the, the next phase. And if that's successful, then that's when we go to the FDA and ask for it to be approved as a standard of care therapy. How long would that take? And bearing in mind, we've only got four minutes left of having a chat, yeah. unfortunately. How, how long? Because yeah. I've got a couple of things I want to ask you as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, look, it is a, a quite a lengthy process. So, uh, you know, given people would be interested in this from an investment point of view, uh, it would so post the phase two when we get some data around you know tr it's looking like it's being efficacious ideally we would then look to partner with a another pharmaceutical company likely in the US uh, to help us undertake those phase three trials because they can take a couple of years so uh, but you know doing some sort of deal in the meantime uh, with a company like that so if anyone's familiar with Neuron which is a NEU ticker which is a now an extremely successful um, pharmaceutical development company who also have a peptide looking at neurological diseases. It would be a similar type of approach that uh, that Neuron has taken. Yeah. So a couple of years. We're not we're not exactly sure how much at the moment. All right. In the meantime, key message, of course, is we're we're looking at stroke, but there are some other interesting ways this drug can be used, and it's been in the news a little bit in the last couple of months. Concussion, Alzheimer's. Where do you want to start there? Yeah, sure. So um, the way the drug works, it does work on multiple mechanisms of action which lend itself to other neurological conditions. So, for example, in concussion or um, traumatic brain injury, so more severe cases of traumatic brain injury, we have data to show that it's able to protect the neurons uh, post that um, that injury. So we've just got a grant from the federal government to explore the potential of the drug in concussion. So we'll do some preclinical research in concussion. And similarly in Alzheimer's disease, the way the drug works, it actually uh, reduces the aggregation of proteins 
and protein aggregation, both beta amyloid and tau, is a big problem within Alzheimer's disease. So the combination of the aggregation of those two proteins um, is is kind of is really the clinical, um, you know, how, how it sort of presents clinically for Alzheimer's patients. So if we can reduce that protein aggregation for both proteins, then um, we've got a real shot at a therapy for Alzheimer's disease as well. Uh, anything else at all? Any any other indications? Oh, we do. We have, again, it's like a wonder drug. So, um, but we, as a company, you know, we really do need to focus. We need to, um, we'd love to do all sorts of things, but we don't have endless resources. And um, we're really focused on, on stroke, on the TBI, also uh, stroke in infants, which is a really critical area and huge unmet need. Um, and the Alzheimer's work. So that's um, that's plenty to keep uh, our hands full and um, get some good news out there to the market. Towards the end of the year, will you have any results from um, stage two if things go according to plan? So we will be dosing, uh, ideally dosing our first patient at the end of this year. So we still have a bit of a way to go to get our ethics approval in and our protocol finalised. We will put our protocol in front of the FDA as well just to give the green light, even though we'll do the whole clinical trial in Australia and, um, yeah, so dosing first patients. So, um, and then hopefully some data out next calendar year. Liz, thanks for your time. Dr. Liz Dallimore bringing us up to speed with R007 and Argenica, a biotech stock developing novel therapeutics to reduce brain tissue death after stroke and other types of brain injury and neurodegenerative diseases. 13 million people suffering strokes every year. It's a huge number of people that can be helped It's also a huge market for the biotech that develops a therapeutic solution. Is this it? If you're thinking of investing, remember DYOR, do your own research into Argenica. Do you think it will be able to deliver on its mission statement? I'm Christina Morrissey. You've been listening to Stock Insiders.